Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Travis Chappell from the Build Your Network podcast. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you should be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good buddy, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I got a great one for you talking with Travis Chapel. Travis is the host of the Build Your Network podcast and he's a bit of a networking expert. The Build Your Network podcast has been consistently a top 25 business podcast on iTunes. He's also host of the World Class podcast and YouTube channels. And we talk about how he has been able to build such an amazing network when he literally started with knowing no one at all, coming out of a pretty tight-knit religious community and not having any connections. We also talk about how to successfully connect with influencers and role models, something I think, and mentors, something I think that we're all trying to do. And we talk about the importance of providing value, but also how to do it appropriately. There's a right way and a wrong way to offer value, and it's really important to understand that distinction and do it right. So overall, Travis shares some really powerful guidance on how to build your network, which can really be one of the most powerful tools in your arsenal to achieving your goals. So make sure that you're taking action on the insights that you get from this episode. Hi, Travis. Welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you on today. What's going on, Greg? Thanks for having me. For sure, man. I know that you're going to bring a ton of value to the audience about how to network effectively. And I think your journey and your story overall is an expression of that, right? So I think we're going to be able to learn a ton from you. Yeah, I'll do my best, bro. I'll do my best. I'm setting the bar high, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if we could maybe go back to kind of when you started the podcast, maybe even give us a little bit of background on the Build Your Network podcast, and then we'll sure. kind of build from there. Sure. So yeah, I was always that entrepreneurial spirited kid. I, you know, in elementary school brought stuff to school to sell to the other kids and kind of just had that in, in me. I, I don't really know what it was. But um, just kind of always had the desire to have a little bit more money than other people had. So that kind of carried into high school. And uh, when I was in high school, I started my first business doing landscaping. I uh, learned a few valuable lessons there. And then in college, basically got fed up with uh, mowing lawns and putting in lawns and fixing sprinklers and getting dirty and spreading manure and all that stuff. So I, a buddy of mine started knocking doors and doing door-to-door sales. And I kind of jumped into that. And it was basically always just a journey for me to try to figure out a way to make more money in an easier way. And then podcasting came along. And basically what had happened was I had a good year in door-to-door, but it was an, it was kind of counterintuitive my reaction to it because like I was happy that I had a good year, but at the same time I knew that I didn't want to be doing it forever, and so I had kind of already hit the ceiling where I was, and I was like 22, 23 at the time, which was really scary to me. And so I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wasn't going to be that. And so after having a really good year, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to take a few months off and just kind of figure out what I want to do. And for the first time ever, dove into personal development, started reading a little bit, started listening to to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, and doing some of those different things, and started coming across podcasting and 
after listening to a bunch of podcasts, just kind of figured, you know what, this kind of seems interesting, seems like something I might be willing to do and be able to do. And uh, so I just kind of jumped in. And there's the first time when, when I went full time with it. So I did it for about 13 months and then I went full time with it. And that was the first time in, ever in my life where I switched what I was doing to do something that made less money than what I was doing full time. But I was just so stoked to do it because it, it just would, it checked up all my boxes and I, and I wanted to do it. And then you take, take it into my first full time year doing it full time and it ended up being my best year ever. And so it was kind of a lesson to me in, in you know, aligning your, your work ethic with the things that you actually care about and how it can affect your ability to produce. So, but yeah, that's kind of a quick, quick update to, to bring people up to speed. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that. Now, so you decide I want to go into podcasting, right? But you don't have a network in the space, right? And you don't have a network to rely on yet to bring in all the tremendous guests that you've brought in. So tell me how you started that process and how you built that up. Yeah, good question. So I, yeah, literally was starting from scratch, man. And, and for those people who may not know anything about my background, I grew up in a very uh, strict religious community. And so when I say that I was starting from scratch with my network, when I started this, I, I quite literally was, I, you know, all the people that I knew from growing up were all in this one tight knit religious bubble. Like I, all my friends were the same. Everything was the same for me. Like my, my church friends were my school friends because the church that I went to had a school on the campus. And so my school friends were my church friends, church friends were my school friends youth group was the same I had sports my youth activities everything was the same I went to that school from kindergarten all the way through high school and graduated from that from high school there as well as graduating from college there all on the same campus so when I left that there were a lot of people who wanted me to fail but there were probably mostly people who didn't want me to fail, but also didn't really care if I succeeded. You know what I mean? That's probably the majority of people that were just kind of indifferent to it because they were like, okay, well, you're not, you're not bought into our mission anymore. So like, good luck, but also I don't really care. You know what I mean? When I started into this world, I was quite literally starting from scratch. I didn't know anybody that would, did well in business. Like the, the most, like the richest person that I knew made 150 grand a year at the time. And so I didn't really know any millionaires. I never met millionaires. I never hung out with millionaires, let alone had any friends who were millionaires. And so I was, yeah, quite literally starting from scratch at that point. I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I really cared about. I just immediately right off the bat just decided, you know what, if I got to pay for access, I got to pay for access. And that was how I kind of first got first got my first couple of big guests on was through buying into a couple of masterminds and getting some coaching and some mentoring and consults, consulting from people who knew way more about this stuff than I knew, which wasn't hard back then because I didn't know anything. And so that's how I, that's how I started, man. Yeah, I just kind of jumped in and uh, was willing to pay to play from the beginning. Oh, I mean, so you invested in those first couple of relationships, but then you had to build from there, right? Yes. You, you yes. obviously had to build those relationships further as well as the folks they connected you to, you had to impress and build those relationships. So what did you find the keys are to doing that? Yeah, and it's a good question, man. I'm glad you asked it because a lot of people get the idea that I just like paid money and then that was it. Mm-hmm. That is such a, such a, such a small part of the story, man. Like uh, yeah. and, and a lot, I think a lot of people will sometimes look at me when, well, like when people, when, when they pay me money, they'll be like, you know, some people will get upset that I don't do more for them or something. And I'm just like, well, you know what? I'm doing exactly everything that I agreed to do when you paid me. Like you can't expect me to put in the work for your success. You still have to put in the work. And that's what I did is I, even though I paid a lot of money to a couple of people at the beginning, it was still me that was putting in all the work. So when, when I got my first big name, he didn't just make a ton of introductions for me. In fact, he made 
one, exactly one introduction for me in the first six months after I invested with him. But use like leveraging that credibility by using his name and getting a bunch of other guests on that way. That was something he was totally cool with me doing. So I still had to put in the work and I still had to go grassroots marketing and cold DMs and cold reach out emails and totally cold on most of, of the initial connections that I was making. Um, I still had to put in all of that work from the very beginning. There was nobody that was going to step in and just like hand it to me on a silver platter just because I uh, sent him a check. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm glad that you clarified there because there's still a lot of work to do, even if you're paying people for advice and, and paying for access. Like you have to give them reasons to stick around. You have to give them reasons to continue investing in you and continue mentoring and offering advice and building a relationship with you personally. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And I, I think that you're also known for developing relationships with the folks who you have on your show and the folks who you have built your network around, right? So it's not a one-time thing. You're building friendships with these folks. So tell us a little bit about how to maintain a network and maintain friendships long-term. Yeah, that's a good question, man. Uh, it's all about the principle of digging your well before you're thirsty. Everybody, the perfect antithesis to this phrase is the dude from high school that you haven't talked to in 12 years and then you get a random you know private message in your facebook messenger and he's talking about this new supplement that he's selling and he wants you to like get a part of this new opportunity it's like bro i haven't talked to you in 12 years you can't just come out of the blue and start pitching me on this mlm that you jumped into and i'm not even somebody that bashes mlmers to be honest i'm not somebody who crushes like bashes on network markers all the time i think it's a cool industry but that guy is the reason that the industry has such a bad reputation because nobody learns how to do it the right way and they don't dig their well before they're thirsty. All of a sudden, one day they wake up and they're thirsty and then they got to go get to work on digging their well, but they didn't already have it. It's not already done. So now you got to start from scratch, but you're trying to get to the bottom and get to the water before it's even possible to get to the water because you haven't put in the work to earn the right to have the ask. So... It's all about digging well before you're thirsty to say that. And then, and then how to properly maintain those relationships. That's one reason why I create content. That's one reason why I host live events. That's one reason why I host a mastermind. It allows me to still remain in contact with a lot of people that I connect with through bringing them on, highlighting them in front of a group of people, asking them to do trainings or coming to a dinner or hang out with us at a mastermind meetup. Like I do a lot of those reasons. I do a lot of those things to benefit my community. Sure. To benefit the people that are paying me. Sure. A hundred percent. But also to consistently keep in touch with a lot of the people that I bring on my show who I want to you know, stay in touch with. So um, that's one of the ways that I do that. I know, I know some people that are a lot better at maintaining relationships than I am. They have like CRMs and they have people plugged into those CRMs and they set up reminders uh, to reach out after a certain amount of time. Those people, those people are next level. But for me, it's, for me, it's just uh, keeping a constant eye on the people that I really want to connect with and and going deeper on a few relationships rather than being really widespread and being shallow with a lot of relationships. And really bringing value to the relationship as well, right? You talked about developing content that might be relevant to them, understanding what they're about, how you can help them, understanding what kind of event they might be excited about being a part of, right? right. So it's not just having a random event that doesn't really fit with them except their big name. It's about bringing them in when it makes sense for them too. 
Yep. Yep. Exactly. And that, I mean, that's, that's the purpose of having one of those platforms is that it's a way to add value to some of those people that are high level connections. Like, uh, my buddy Cole runs an event that's 1500, 2000 entrepreneurs, really well run event. They spend a lot of money making the high production value. The people that are there are really good people and speakers want to speak to those types of audiences. So he's been able to use that as leverage to be able to connect with a lot of people that he wants to connect with and be in business with a lot of people that he wants to be in business with because he's built an asset. He's built a platform that people really want, that people covet, that people like want to get in front of. He's built something that is a huge value add to some of the people that he's wanted to connect with, which has enabled him to get in rooms with people that maybe wouldn't have given him the time of day before. That's a critical step a lot of people overthink too, right? Like you have to bring something of value or have something of value. Mm-hmm. You can't, hey, I'm Greg, I'm a great guy. You know, you yeah, should right. build a relationship with me, yeah, right? right. Yeah. Let's go get a beer, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that works and that's great, but it's not going to work in a lot of situations, especially when you're trying to connect with those influencers and those mentors and those people in your field who you're really trying to, who you're really trying to chase after, right? And be like. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. There's got to be value exchange, man. And, and by the way, don't use that as a way to give yourself an excuse to ask the question, how can I add value to you? Like you want to know the number one way to annoy somebody in that situation, (laughs) ask them that question because (laughs) the question itself is disingenuous. Most of the time when people ask that question, it's because they know that they need to bring value in order to get value. So it's usually asked because they want some value from you. And in order to get that value, they're willing to do something for you. So it's it automatically comes with this error of of transactional relationship building attached to it, which is already kind of smarmy and slimy feeling. But then at the same time, you just gave them homework. Like you just went to somebody that's got a lot of demands on their time. The people are always trying to get a hold of them and everybody wants them to do this new thing with them. And you just gave them a homework assignment and just said, hey, find a way that I can add value to you. That's your job, bro. Like that is your job. You need to be the one that knows what that person's needs are, that knows that, hey, I saw that you're launching a book. What if I buy 500 copies to give out to a ton of people at my event? Would that be helpful? Would that be valuable? Yes, you're trying to hit Wall Street Journal bestseller. Oh yeah, great. You know what I mean? I'll mm-hmm. buy 500 books from you just to say thank you for the things, or I'll buy 50, I'll buy 20, whatever it is. You know, like it's your job to know what is the value piece that this person's looking for and how can I fill that void? Like I've, I've had some people that work with me that just were willing to do stuff for me for free. Like literally have a kid in my inbox this week who's writing up some, an email sequence for me. I'm going to give him a testimonial that he can use to get more clients because he hit me up my DM and he was like, Hey man, I, uh, I'm a copywriter and I would like to send you a week's worth of emails for free. And if you would be willing to give me a testimonial, if they're any good. And I had, I said, Hey, send me some examples of your past work. He sent me some examples of some of the past work that he's done for some of the people that I already know. And I said, Hey, that looks pretty good. Go ahead and do it. So now he's writing up an email sequence for me. And he might be someone that I use in the future and might be someone that I recommend to other people because he found that value add. He mm-hmm. found something, some way that he could add value to me without me having to assign him something and figure out what his skill sets are and figure out if it's even something that I want or something that he's good at or if he could even fill that need that I have. You know, like do your research and figure out what your value add is and then offer it. Don't ever ask somebody that question. It takes a lot of forethought to understand them and what they can use as well as how you can, how you can contribute to that. Which Uh, helps them differentiate you in their mind from the dozens of other people that have also tried to get in touch with them that week. Absolutely. So sticking on networking for a second, 
what are the three top takeaways you've taken from all the folks that you've interviewed around networking? Like what are the three biggest best practices that you've taken away from folks? Sure. So it's always starts with give, uh, give without the expectation of receiving anything in return is always the first thing because the more good you put out into the world, the more good you get. That's just a fact. It's a, the law of reciprocity will always have your back. And people are always so worried that, okay, what if this person takes advantage of me, whatever, the law of reciprocity will always have your back. If you give without expecting anything in return and that person doesn't give you anything in return, don't worry about it. Because at some point later on down the road, at some thing, some opportunity is going to come your way that you weren't expecting because the law of reciprocity always has your back. The more good you put out into the world, the more that you help people and give value to other people, the more that you have an entire group of people that are secretly conspiring for you instead of against you. you know what I mean? And that's nothing but good. That's nothing but good for you is to have a total, an entire group of people that just hope that you're successful because you've done nothing but help them. You know? And that's where Zig Ziglar's quote comes from where he says, if you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything in life that you want. And that's mm -hmm. the truth. You just got to put, continually put out good into the world. So give without the expectation of receiving anything in return. Uh, to me, the next thing would be build a network on purpose. You have to be purposeful about your networking. And there's so many people that are so, like, I haven't met a single person, Greg, that's ever told me, oh, your network doesn't matter. Everybody agrees that your network matters and that it's extremely important. But a lot of people will not agree to the degree where they have to take purposeful steps to change and alter their network. They just let it happen on accident. And if you have, an, uh, if you have a network that was built on accident, then guess what? You're going to have a network that was built on accident. You know what I mean? And you're just, at the, you're just at the mercy of whatever life throws at you because you're just building your network on accident. But if you build your network on purpose, you can place people in there that will help you to become the version of yourself that you want to be. Your environment is what shapes who you are. Everybody agrees that your environment is what shapes who you are. The things that you watch and listen to, the, the media that you consume, the people that you hang around, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like Everybody agrees on that. But what people don't agree on is that you ultimately have the control of what your environment is. You're, you are the person that ultimately allows people to stay in your life or makes people not be in your life. Like you are the one that has the ability to control those things. So all you have to do to, add, to see who you're going to be in five years from now is see who you allow yourself to hang out with and the stuff that you allow yourself to consume right now and then apply that to yourself in five years. If you don't like that version of yourself, then on purpose, get around other people that you want to emulate, people that you want to be like, people who have values or morals that are similar to ones that you want, people that have success or results that are similar to the success or results that you want. Like, Get around those people on purpose and that will cultivate your environment, which in turn will cultivate you and turn you into the person that you want to be. So be on purpose about it. So give without, expect, uh, without expecting anything in return. Be on purpose about it. And lastly, I'll say this, build a platform. For me, it's podcasting. For, for my buddy Cole that I was talking about earlier, it's a stage, a live event. Some people do, you know, Evan Carmichael uses YouTube. Gary Vaynerchuk uses every platform. You know, like build a platform in some way, some shape, or some form. Like what we we're talking about earlier about how some people just don't have anything to say. You know, like hey, I'm a cool guy. Let's grab a beer. You know what I mean? Like it's because they don't have anything to say. They don't have any ask. They don't have any real reason to be reaching out except for the fact that they admire that person. If you have a platform like a podcast, it gives you the perfect excuse to reach out to anybody that you want to reach out to because the ask is, hey, will you come on my podcast? Like, 
Will you, you know, spend 20 minutes with me on a podcast interview and chat about X, Y, and Z? That's the perfect excuse to reach out to somebody that you may not have had the guts to reach out to before because like you didn't have anything to say or all you knew to do is to try to get them on a sales call, which is just going to turn them off anyway. Like this gives you the perfect value adding relationship building excuse to be able to connect to people that you want to connect with. So those would be my three. Always create value for people without expecting anything in return. Be on purpose about your networking and build a platform for yourself to connect with people. Love it and powerful stuff. And I can't even speak to that last one where I've only been building this podcast for the last month or so, right? And I'm already connecting with folks who are, you know, retired CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and top influencers in a variety of spaces. But fascinating to me how well the podcast opens up the doors with folks Um, and also how valuable those conversations are. They're just great folks to get to know. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 100%, man. And the thing is, they know a lot of other people. And they've been, they open up their network to you because now you've been able to connect with them and make a difference in their life. So there's so, yeah, so many reasons, man. So many reasons. I want to take a step back to your sales days, right? Door-to-door sales, kind of the firing line, if you will, the proving ground of communication skills, right? And you got to build trust immediately. Pretty nerve-wracking to knock on that door in the first place. I've done it from a business context, never from a door-to-door residential you know, sort of context. But I'm sure that there's a ton to be taken away from how to do that successfully. So any, any best practices that, that you learn that could be bridged to other situations? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, door to door was, I look back on it with like, like being proud of doing it. But then I, if I think about going back to doing it, it like makes me anxious. <laughs> like I don't want to do it again, but it was also extremely helpful. And I did it for six years in like three or four different industries with a bunch of different types of products and services, recruited a lot of people, trained a lot of people, managed a lot of people, sold a lot of stuff. You're right. It, it, it's, it's kind of like cutting your teeth in communication. It's basically like a crash course in emotional intelligence, especially if you apply that 738-55 rule that 7% of communication is the words that we say, 38% is tonality, and 55% is body language and facial expression. Like mm-hmm. if you apply that to door to door, there's so many, there's so many valuable takeaways from it because you have to really start discerning how people are feeling in a situation compared to what they're telling you they're feeling in a situation. You have to start searching and, and figuring out how to overcome objections. You have to build trust so fast in those transactional relationships. And so there's a lot of things that I took away from door to door. Just a couple, like one thing would be always assuming the sale, something that I always took away from that because we were, we were, we would just like slam stuff in, man. Like we were, when, when we did alarms, we would just not, we would knock a door and within 30 minutes we'd be signing contracts. And then within an hour, the installer would be at the front door installing the alarm. Like we were just like shoving stuff in there. You know what I mean? Like we were opening and closing in like an hour. There was no oh, come back next Tuesday. We didn't do comeback appointments. I never did comeback appointments unless it was that same day. Like same day, I'll come back. Tomorrow, I'm in a different neighborhood. Sorry. The the ability to build that kind of trust that quickly was was something that that you had to do. And and you always had to assume that the logical conclusion to your presentation was a sale. That you had to explain yourself well enough and create enough uh, interest in the product that you're selling that by the end of the conversation, the logical conclusion to the conversation is them getting your product or your service. And so assuming the sale was something that I that I took away from that that I still use very frequently and in a lot of other aspects of life, not even just in sales, just assuming that something's going to happen is automatically going to increase my odds of making it happen. So to give you an example, when we knocked a door, 
it was always a part of my training to get in the house as quickly as possible is this is when we were doing alarms. The, the difference was if you're on the doorstep, you're a stranger. If you're in the house, you're a trusted advisor is what I used to tell my reps. So the idea is to get in the house as quickly as possible. And that way you're subconsciously somebody that they automatically trusting somebody that they've let into their home. If you don't trust somebody to at least a certain extent, you don't let them in your home. So it was my job to get in the house as quickly as possible. So one of the things that we would do, one of the, one of the ways that I would do that is I would bend down at the door and try to show them on the door, like one of the things that we were going to install in the house. And when I was down there from a crouched position, looking up at them, cause I'm about six, one, at the time, I was a little bit overweight too. I was like 6'1", 250. Now I'm like 6'1", 210. Uh, but I'm like a, I'm a larger guy, you know what I mean? That could be somewhat intimidating for some people if I'm knocking on your front door and want to come inside the house. So instead of asking from like this like big, upright, standing up straight, chest to chest position, I would get down on my knees and like be crouching down, not on my knees, but just like bending down on my, on my, still on my feet, but just bent all the way down, pointing mm-hmm. at something on the bottom of the door. And then I would say something like, yeah, I just need a few quick seconds to come inside and show you how, show you how the rest of the equipment works. And then, and then instead of asking them if I could come in, I would just say, do you want me to take my shoes off? And mm-hmm. I knew, however they answered that question, I was going to come inside the house. If you say, yes, then I take my shoes off and I come inside the house. If you say no, then I don't take my shoes off and I come inside the house. (laughs) So it was always assuming that that was already part of the the question. Like I wasn't asking if I could come in. Like we both already know that you're going to let me in the house. It's just at this point, we just got to figure out if you want people to take their shoes off when they come in your house or don't want people to take their shoes. So it took their mind off of the question of, do I want the stranger coming in my home and put it onto, do people usually take their shoes off when they come in the house? Nah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden I'm inside their house. And then by the time I'm inside their house, now I've built a lot of trust with them because subconsciously I'm the person that they trust to be an advisor in this situation rather than some pesky salesman that, that knocked on the door. And so that was one thing that, that, that we used to do that worked really well. Another thing uh, was the difference between an advisor and a sales rep was a lot of times portrayed in your energy and what you brought to the door. And when I first started in door to door, I would try to be that salesperson personality. Hey, how's it going? Big smile and loud energy and all up in your face. But the problem is that every other salesman's like that and people can sniff that out right off the bat. So instead of doing that, I would pretend I, I, the way that I presented myself, which really was good for me because it went along with my personality as well, was with an even keeled demeanor as if I was the meter guy. Like think about the meter guy. The guy that comes to your house that works for the utility company that's there to check the meter. That's the idea that I came across with, which I think has really served me in a lot of other ways in, in every other thing that I've done in sales, even with my own products and services that I sell now, is I'm always thinking about it from the perspective of the advisor. How can I become the trusted advisor from this person where they're no longer looking at me as a salesperson? They're looking at me as they would look at their, their mechanic right? Like their mechanic is just there, is just giving them it. That's why mechanics make so much freaking money because they know that you don't understand anything that's going on under the hood, but they can sell you anything at that point because they could be like, oh yeah, you're, they could make up a word and people would still be like, all right, how much is that? And me included, by the way, I don't know anything about what's under the hood of a car either. So that's what I'm thinking. Like I want to be, I want to be the mechanic. I want to be the guy that you're just trusting for advice. And then I happen to also carry the solution to the problem as well. And obviously I was never there trying to swindle anybody 
and that should go without saying. You should not be using these types of things to try to screw people out of money. And I was not doing that. I believed in my product. I believed in my service. I gave really good deals to customers and I took care of the people that I sold. Um, that should all go without saying. But um, these are just a couple of ways that helped me to be able to get those people to buy into the fact that I was a trustworthy person. Because that's the biggest obstacle in any sales situation is that people do not trust you. If you had their implicit trust, if you had their complete trust in the situation, then you'd be able to sell them almost anything. Because think about it. Anytime that you're trying to sell something new, if you have a parent or a family member or a best friend that needs that thing that you have, they buy it from you. Because it's like, oh yeah, I trust Greg. Like Greg's not going to screw me over. You know what I mean? Like he says it's a good product. He says it takes care of my problem. I don't really know much about that. He's the expert. I defer to him. I'll buy it from him. If every prospect that you came in touch with had that same amount of trust in you, you would sell 90% of them. So trust is one of the big barriers in any sales relationship. So knowing that I had to come into the house with the idea of like, how do I get them to take their guard down and get them to trust me? And, and again, not in a way for me to be able to screw them over, just in a way for them to be able to trust that my opinion is that this is going to be a really good product that takes care of the problem that you have. So one of the ways that I would do that is I'll just come across the very even keeled personality that made it seem like I was just the meter guy. I'm just the mechanic. I'm just here to show you what's wrong. And also I do have a solution if, if that's something that you're looking for. But the main thing that I'm here for is to show you like that this is, there's something wrong here. So instead of being like, Hey, what's up? And being loud and in your face and being right up next to the door, I would stand a couple feet away from the door and I would, and I would speak really quietly like this. And I, I would, I would be very intentional about the volume of my voice and the concern, the look of concern on my face like this, instead of really big and boisterous and loud. And what would happen is, and probably some of you listening to this did the same exact thing. When, 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 when I start talking really quietly like this, people start to automatically tune in. People start to pay attention more. People start to like, you, this, this person seems to be speaking on purpose and I can't quite make out what they're saying. Now I have to lean in rather than the opposite, which is like, if I'm talking like this and I'm like, hey, what's up? My name is Travis. Then at that point, people's first reaction is to pull away right? People's first reaction is to be like, ah, they, they want to separate themselves. I want to distance themselves from you. Whereas when I would come in with this like soft, lower tone with a concerned look, it was more like a neighbor that was there to help them out. At that point, they get drawn into what I'm saying. They lean into the conversation instead of pulling away. And I would, that's even how, I'd, how I would have people that were like, like if they, if, if they opened the door and there was a screen door and they had a dog that was barking, um, a lot of salespeople try to talk over the dog. It's like, you're never going to be able to talk over that dog, man. You're never going to be able to do that. So instead of doing that, I would just speak really quietly. And eventually that person, if they're a normal person, right? Like some people are just dicks and they're just going to be like, oh, I can't hear you and slam the door anyway. Um, but that's in the nature of door-to-door -door sales in any sales situation is some people are dicks. But if they're a normal person, most of the time what they're going to do is they're going to be like, I can't quite make out what you're saying. And then they'll just close the door and open the screen door and come out and close that door behind them. And now we get to have an actual conversation instead of me trying to talk over their dog through the screen door that I can't even see their face through. Those are just a couple of things. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, no, I think it definitely is. Building trust is critical. And something I found in the business context that can be really effective is asking smart questions, right? Being prepared with really smart, intentional questions. I mean, you've been to, alluded to it a little bit in, in the strategy that you were discussing, but being able to come in with really intelligent questions about their unique situation can build that kind of contextual tr trust really quickly. Yeah, love that, man. So true. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're going to love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors? 
to gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are. Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. So tell me a little bit about the World Class Podcast. Yeah, so World Class was uh, a new show that we just launched a couple months ago. Turned out to be insanely horrible timing. <laughs> uh, we launched like the week before the shutdown happened. And the, perp- the premise and the purpose of the new show was to do all in-person interviews. All for, it was supposed to be like a YouTube show first pot- repurposed into a podcast rather than the other way around. Which, so Build Your Network was supposed to be my podcast, you know, and then World Class was going to be my YouTube show that we did a lot of video material on. And obviously, we cannot do that anymore. But we have, we have still been releasing content over there as much as we can. And basically what it is, is I interview world-class individuals and I want to in reverse engineer what it took for them to get to that position in their life and how other people can apply that to their lives if that's part of what they want to do. If you want to be a world-class performer, an athlete, a, a journalist, a you know, comedian, a, a business person, Person, whatever it is, an author, then then it's a it's a great show to listen to because we we interview some really world class folks over there and kind of reverse engineer what it took for them to get to the position they're in now. And it goes back to the power of your network, right? You wouldn't be able to get those tremendously successful people if you hadn't spent the time building your network. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So just a couple more questions I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. First one is around the power of conversations. So I like to ask all my guests if there's a specific conversation they can point to in their lives that had a really big impact upon the path that they took. Hmm, that's a that's a good question, man. I remember talking to I remember talking to my wife about podcasting back when I first started and She's always really good at asking me questions about things that I don't think about. Like I'll, I'll t- I tend to get excited about stuff and then mm-hmm. she'll ask me a question and that I don't know the answer to, you know what I mean? And, and I'll just be like, shut up, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. When in reality she does. And it's just like, is exposing the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about. So that was, that was one that I remember pretty explicitly um, having a conversation about podcasting and me having to prove to her why it was a good idea because she just didn't understand it. And neither one of us were podcast listeners very much at the time, except for that I had just started listening to podcasts. And so she's like, she didn't really even know exactly what it was or how I was going to make money. But I remember that being a, a conversation where I took away, I took it almost as a, like a challenge to prove like, to be fair, she never said that I couldn't do it. She was just still kind of confused. And, but having that conversation and answering those questions that she had led me to being able to figure out some of those things for myself. And so it's really clarifying and helping you think through what's most important as you've gone down the path. And it's obviously helped you be pretty successful. For sure. 100%. 
So second question, if you think about your path to date and kind of all your successes and failures, if you could have had one communication skill in more abundance that would have made it easier, what would that have been? I would say marketing. I mean, that, that may not be the answer, one of the answers that you're looking for, but in terms of like, I, I view persuasion as a form of communication mm-hmm. and in persuasion breaking down, I feel like there's different skill sets within that. And I feel like there's sales and there's negotiation and there's marketing. And I would say that marketing was not my strong suit prior to being in this space. And that was one thing that would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of headache if I had already mastered that skill before I got into this. Been kind of trial and error. Up to this point, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I was a salesman when I got in, and I, I still am. Really, like, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a salesman than I am a marketer. But I've definitely learned a lot about marketing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Last question for you: Who is the best communicator that you know, either know personally or know of, and why do you say that about them? Yeah, there's so there's so many potential answers for this question, but I would say Tom Bilyeu mm-hmm. because because of how much he relentlessly pursues perfecting his craft, no matter what it is. I love people that have big, audacious goals. And his goal with Impact Theory is to rival Disney in their content. And he's like, this is like a hundred year goal for me. It's like a hundred year goal. You're like 40, bro. Like, <laughs> so this is obviously like you're, you're so focused on the prize that you know that the majority of the success might even come after you're gone. And you're still that dedicated to pursuing and perfecting this craft. Like that's just respect, man. And he's one of the best interviewers in the game. He's probably the best introducer in the game. Very articulate, very on purpose with his speech and somebody that, that I respect in pretty much all areas of life, including his relationship with his wife and the way that they communicate with each other, the way that he communicates with his team, the way that he communicates on podcast interviews as an interviewee and as an interviewer. Uh, there's so many things that I respect about that guy. So I'd, I'd have to say Tom Bilyeu. So tell folks where they can find you, where they can find the podcast, where they can learn more about what you're up to. Yeah, TravisChapel.com. You can find basically anything, um, all my social channels, my podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, so TravisChapel.com. That's two P's, two L's. TravisChapel.com. You can go check that out. Perfect. Definitely go check it out. I can speak from experience. A lot of, a lot of great stuff Travis is working on. He's helping me out a lot uh, as I walk through the podcast journey. I've been kind of a mentor, so I definitely appreciate that and just learning a ton from all the great work that he's doing. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me on the show, man. Yeah, thank you. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.